Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Isn't God good? God is good. God is so good. And he's here to touch us and change us. We've been walking through the book of Mark over this last, uh, this term, this school term. It's been a great series. We've been walking through and looking at all of the amazing aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. We've looked at the baptism of Jesus. We looked at Jesus, how he called the disciples, which was a really, really powerful week as we, we saw the call of God on our lives as well. We looked at the authority of Jesus and how we can walk in the authority that we have as Christ now lives in us and we have a new identity in him. We looked at some of the parables of Jesus, one of the parables, and we looked at some of the miracles of Jesus, particularly the miracle of the feeding of 4,000, uh, which Cain led us through. And, and today I just want to continue on that series as we start to head in towards a different part of Mark. It's a pivot in the book of Mark, I, I would think. And it starts talking about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And I want us, as we're heading into Easter, it's a really great time to do that. Jesus predicted his own death. He started predicting his death with the disciples. And there were three points in the book of Mark where I want us to have a look at today where I noticed Jesus was predicting his death. And he hadn't done that before up until this point. And so I want us to have a look at that. The first time was in Mark chapter 8. And he's just fed the 4,000, which... Um, Cain spoke about, I think, and he's just healed the blind man. He's been out there doing ministry for, you know, almost three years, and Jesus has been busy, amen? Jesus has been busy. But what happens next, I feel, is this real turning point in his life, this turning point in his ministry, and it's a change of focus almost for him because he's starting to see the end in sight there. Jesus starts to pivot his focus and the disciples, he's starting to help them focus too on what's coming, on what's about to happen. And he begins by asking them as he's walking along and they're just leaving Galilee and he's walking along with the disciples. And it says there, Jesus and the disciples left Galilee and they went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi and as they were walking along, he asked them. You can imagine they're just walking along the road, the dusty, dirty road, all the way as they're walking. And I can imagine Jesus contemplating. I can imagine him thinking, how am I going to say, what am I going to do next? And he said, I'm just going to ask them a question. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And well, they reply, they're probably all thinking, oh, that's a strange question, but well, some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah and others say you are one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. I can just picture Jesus right here as he's contemplating. He's thinking deeply what's coming. I think that there were these moments of silence as he's walking along, as he's gathering his thoughts, as he's kind of feeling that inner turmoil building of knowing what's going to come with the crucifixion and all that pain and suffering about to come. And you know, in that moment, I'm kind of trying to relate to that moment before he starts talking about this with the disciples. You've got a really difficult thing to tell your family, a really painful thing that you've got to tell your family and it's how do I tell them this how what do I say how do I get this conversation going and there's this moment of contemplation there's this moment of thinking before you kind of do your best to blurt it out and make the most of that or some big decision that you've had to make and you've got to express it to people and you're like how am I going to 
and you've just got all these contemplative moments leading up to that, and, and you're saying, Lord, what do I do? And I just can imagine Jesus was in that place, and he's, before he makes this really public, I wonder if Jesus was just pausing for that moment and thinking, how do I say this before I put it out there into the atmosphere that it was these next words right here, right now, that were going to begin to predict his own death and prepare himself and prepare the disciples and I guess brace himself for this moment, knowing where it was all going to go and what the focus was, that God was calling him to focus now on the very thing that he was born to do. The time had come and after all he'd done this ministry for three years, along with the disciples, spent all this time and he packed in a lot of ministry, as we know. And it was right now that he began. It says in this next verse we'll look at that he began to tell his disciples. I mean, as if he hadn't already done enough for teaching them and showing them the way. Now, he says, he began to tell them and teach them about his great redemptive plan, the gospel. It says in verse 30, 31 there that Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He already knew what was going to happen, you see. He was holding this all inside for all this time, and now he began to tell them. It would have been such deep contemplation here. He, would have, he says he would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with the disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. And Jesus turned around and looked at the disciples. And then he reprimanded Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely... Where are we? Sorry, guys. Get behind me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. See, Jesus is trying to lift their vision to start seeing with a godly vision. Now, we walk around, have a worldly vision. We have a, a fleshly vision. We have a, a very day-to-day, finite vision of what's going on. But God sees things from a different perspective. And Jesus is trying to lift their perspective up here to see things from God's perspective. And he goes on then, calling the crowd to join his disciples. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Hang on those words for a few minutes. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when, it, when he returns in his glory, in the glory of the Father and with his holy angels. So right there, church, are some very powerful words and sobering words for us to hang on to today. Wouldn't you agree? He says, give up your life so that you will gain life. Follow me or you'll be, he won't remember you. And uh, then on the very next chapter, so they were in chapter 8, in the very next chapter, chapter 9, Jesus predicts his death again to the disciples. He says in verse 30, leaving that region, they travelled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know that he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with the disciples and teach them 
And he said to them, so again, he's teaching the disciples about his impending death and resurrection. He says, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed. But three days later, he will rise from the dead. They, they didn't understand what he was saying, however. And they were afraid to ask him what he actually meant. Jesus was trying to focus them and teach them and help them understand these disciples, trying to teach them what was about to happen, but they didn't get it. And this is a point as we now are heading into Easter time, church. This is a point for us as we're in the book of Mark, where it's going to lead us into now, I would say, the next three Sundays of Easter-focused messages so that we can understand that as disciples of Christ, that we can understand what the impending death and resurrection of Jesus was all about. Why did Jesus have to die? Who is Jesus? Why did he have to die? Why was his blood had to be shed for us? Why did he rise from the dead? Is the Bible really the word of God? Is these truths really affecting our lives today? This is the kind of focus that we're going to have as we look at the final week of Jesus' life. The final week of Jesus' life began next Sunday, which we begin on our Passover, our Passover service, our Palm, sorry, our Palm Sunday service next Sunday on the 2nd. Our Palm Sunday. We're going to spend a whole week just thinking about what that last week, we called it the final week, what that last week of Jesus' life was all about. And then on the Tuesday night, we'll have our Passover dinner. And you will have got one of these little invitations, I hope, as you came in today. Have you all got one of these? Please, can you take that out for me for a moment? Everyone hold that for a moment. We're just going to have a quick look at this together. If you don't have one of these, then one of our um, stewards, Dan, is going to run around. Please hold your hand up. You can pop this on your fridge. This will be a good guide. Just pop your hand up quickly. And Dan... And Jeff, they've got some. Just run through the aisles for me quickly and make sure everyone's got one. And you might want to take one of these to give to somebody, Mia. Mia just spoke about inviting her neighbour to come to church. Take one of these and give it to your friend and invite them to church, okay? This is a great way that they can see what's happening. And so our Passover dinner, there is a fee to come because there's food and everything provided but it's going to be a wonderful night. We have Friends of Israel, which is a, a, a group coming to help lead us through the Passover dinner and explaining all the Jewish traditions around the Passover. Very fascinating and how there's some direct ties to what we celebrate in taking communion together and remembering the blood of Christ. And you're going to be amazed at some of the traditions that the, the Jewish people uh, go through as they look at the Passover and how we can then see the meaning of those things. And today, it's quite, it brings your Easter week to life to understand these things. And we're going to move into our Good Friday service, our Good Friday service and, and the understanding the sufferings of Jesus and what he went through on the cross. And that will be, our, remember this, 9 a.m. service, not 10 a.m., one hour earlier on that day. It'll be a short service, about an hour long, okay? And then on Easter Sunday, our big celebration, Resurrection Sunday, again, a great service to be inviting your friends and your family to see and learn about Jesus. As Jesus tried to explain these things to his disciples, that's what we want to do over these next few weeks. So I believe this Easter we're going to experience a really powerful move of the Holy Spirit here and seeing people's hearts change, people's lives change, people that you're reaching out to and you're praying for, bringing them into this place to hear the clear gospel message made plain and clear so that they can make a decision to follow Jesus, just like Jamin and Tanika this morning. 
and that they can be baptised into the family of God as well. Does that sound good? Yeah. So we're going to have a real focus that week. Now, one thing that I've learned about when I've sat with families, with someone in those final days of life or in those final weeks of life, one thing I've learned is there's someone about to lose a loved one. I've been through that myself. And we've seen, you've probably all sat through losing a loved one. And in those final days or weeks, isn't it some of the most important moments that you have with those people where you really take their words to heart and the things that they're trying to express in that last moment are really the most important things. They're not trivial things. It's like we're not wasting our words anymore. We're not wasting our time or wasting our our moments anymore. We're really, really taking the most unnecessary things out. We're overlooking those things and we're only focusing on the vital. Is that true? So if you really want to know about Jesus and his heart and his passion, shouldn't we ponder from this moment where he did this pivot and he said to the disciples, so who do you say I am? He says, I'm the Messiah. And he started teaching them, okay, here's what the Son of Man must do. He must, he must die and he must be crucified and he must rise again on the third day. So this was what happened in these final seven days. These words that Jesus spoke, he'd spent 10,000 hours with the disciples leading up to this point. If you think about about three years of ministry, about 10,000 hours with them. But he's coming to this kind of climactic ending where he's now kind of running, the the sand is running out of the hourglass for that last moment. What am I going to teach them now as a 33-year-old person but come to this place where I could be their saviour? I want to show them I can be their saviour in this last week. So what did he tell them? Jesus knew in detail what was going to come. He knew before anyone else what was about to happen. And as we've seen in a certain point, he began predicting his death and resurrection. So over these few weeks, we're going to go deeper into this. But Jesus hadn't entered Jerusalem yet. He was still in Jericho. This is the week before. The final week doesn't start till next Sunday. He's still there in Jericho. But next week, he'll leave Jericho and start walking. He'll make his way to Jerusalem and face that final week. And this walk from Jericho to Jerusalem would be quite a journey for him, a walk like no other walk. And Jesus did a lot of walking in his life. But this walk to Jerusalem will be different to any other walk because he knew what would happen in Jerusalem. He knew that eternity hinged on that final week. He knew that all eyes would be on him. Now we've seen Jesus predict his death twice, but these next 112 words in the Bible could just be read over and we could miss the significance of it. These next three verses I'm about to share need to stand out for us today. It's the third time that Jesus predicted his death and I wonder what that moment would have been like as Jesus was now leading his disciples along this path to Jerusalem. It was a 14-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem 
I was really touched as I was reading this this week. Really deeply touched, actually. Mark tells us in chapter 10 that Jesus was at the front. He was leading from out in front of all his followers. There's no other place that we read about Jesus from leading in front. Jesus was always with the people. He's always behind the people. He's, he's, he's a servant leader in that way. He just led with them. But right here, he made a point of saying he's walking ahead of them. Jesus is walking in front of his followers, leading the way because he was on a mission. He was going into battle, and he knew he had to do it alone, and he was a lone soldier. You know that this is that only time we see that where he takes the lead and focuses on that mission in this way. It says in verse 32, they were now on the way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began describing everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, We're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with, with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him in detail, well ahead of time. He is God. He is God. That's how he knew that. He could have stopped this journey right there and then. He is God. But he was on a mission. He knew the redemptive plan that God was rolling out, that he was unraveling before him. And he was on that mission. And he was 100% human and felt the emotion and felt the pain of this whole journey, but yet at the same time, 100% God and knew he had to stay focused. He wasn't trapped by this. He was intentionally out in front and walking toward his death and leading the way. He knew what he had to do. This prediction of death was so detailed, he knew the who, what, and when. He knew who was going to kill him, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He knew what they would use. He'd be crucified and whipped and flogged and 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 killed. He knew when it would happen, and on the third day, he would rise again. He knew the who, what, and when. He knew it all because he had this clear purpose, and he was on this mission without hesitation. So he's on his way to die on this dusty road to Jerusalem where he knew he would fulfill the plan that his father had said all those years earlier to save the earth and redeem God's creation. Remember the words of Peter? In the words of Peter in Acts 2, 23, it says, but God knew what would happen. God knew what would happen. There's no surprises. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. God's redemptive plan is prearranged. So don't ever think it began on the road to Jericho. Don't ever think it began when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Don't ever think that. No way. This great redemptive plan went all the way back to the beginning 
when a crunch of an apple reverberated through the whole world. When people sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, when you and I sinned, when we went against God's plan. There was that point in history when sin entered the world and separation from God's presence was felt. And the echo of that crunch of that apple has gone right through till today. And we all still hear the echo of the crunch of the apple. Because we're all sinners. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. Every single one of us have sinned. And we all need a saviour. So all through the Old Testament it talked about it. Right through to when Jesus came and was nailed to the cross. It was prearranged. Jesus himself came that he could seek and save that which is lost. That's what he said. He knew why he had to die was to save us. But the great thing about Jesus is he hung on to the promise, the promise that he would rise again. And I think that's what gave Jesus the courage to go through with it, is that he could hang on to this promise that he would rise again in verse 34. He says, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. What a promise. What a promise. A promise like that was what he needed. Church, when you make a reflection on that, when you think of observation on that and think, how do I make an application of that in my life? What does this mean for me? I started thinking, sometimes I'm in my own Jerusalem. I'm in that place where it's really hard. Life is tough. I've never been crucified, but I've been through some things, hard things. And we do go through difficult things in life. We go through, sometimes some of you are heading towards Jerusalem right now. It's an impending something coming. You feel it. Some of you are in your Jerusalem right now. It's just a really difficult moment in your life. Time of loss, time of sickness, time of suffering. Whatever that is for you right now, we need to remember we can hold on to the promise, the promises of God, the promise that Jesus rose again on the third day. The promise that we have life and abundant life in him, eternal life in him. The promise that the things of this world are are fleeting. The things of this world are, are just for a short moment. And then we have eternal life with God. Great promises that we can hang on to. We need to remember that God has a prearranged plan. God has a, a prearranged plan. And God has spoken promises over your Jerusalem. And sometimes we need to be reminded. We need to refocus and rethink about that. Next time you're traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, you know you're headed into a battlefield. I want you to think about this, that there are many promises of God, many promises that you can hold in your heart, just like Jesus held on to a promise in his heart that he would rise again on the third day. It was a promise. Let's have a look back now at the second prediction that Jesus made of his death. He wanted to spend more time with the disciples and teach them. He said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies, but he will be killed. But three days later, he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing about me out on the road out there? What were you discussing out on the road? 
but they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. He said, he just sat down and he called the 12 disciples to him and he said, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. Jesus was such an incredible, rare kind of leader. In fact, there was no one like him that has ever lived and no one like him will ever live again. Why is that? Well, that's, in one moment, he's out the front leading the way on the mission as a leader, but in the next moment, he's sitting down in a lounge room and being a servant to all. He's a servant leader. Most of us are willing to take the credit when good things have been done, right? Some of us are willing to take the rap for the bad things that we've done, yeah? But who here would take the responsibility for the mistakes and the sins of other people done? Anyone? I don't hear any takers. Who here would be willing to shoulder the blame for the mistakes of other people, for the sins of the world? Who here would take that upon their shoulders? Like I'm talking about the sins that you haven't even committed yet. And Jesus took that on his shoulders too. Who would be willing to do that? Not me, but Jesus was. Jesus did all of this, and that's why Jesus is our saviour. Only Jesus could have done this as a son of God. And there is no one else like him. He forgives, he forgave us, he forgives it all, all the time. All the sins of the world, fully forgiven. He offered forgiveness even before we've sinned. He offered forgiveness for the sins that will be committed. Isn't that amazing? His grace is sufficient, it says. The Bible says his grace, which is unmerited favour, is sufficient to remove all of our sins, past, present and future. We sing about it in that song, Amazing Grace. It says in chapter 20 in Matthew, just flipping over to Matthew for a second, verse 27, 28. It said, whoever wants to be a leader among you, these are the words of Jesus, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. I want us to take note of these words as we start preparing to take communion now. Remember, this Easter, that Jesus was a leader who was a servant. He was a leader who was out in front, but he was a leader who was leading from behind. He was a leader who was leading within. He was there in the lounge room sitting down with them. He was a leader who washed their feet. This is the humble-hearted servant saviour that we have. He came to serve others by giving his life. He became a ransom for many. He was our king, dying for a peasant 
like me, a master, a king who sacrificed himself for servants like us. Can you see that Jesus' life, his death, is all about this incredible gift of grace, undeserved favour on our lives. And this love and grace has been lavished on us, not just a little bit of love, but it's been lavished on us like a, like a tidal wave, like a tsunami coming in and just lavishing us, like a wave that just comes and takes over our whole lives and washes us away. Our Master laid down His life over mind. Just close your eyes for a moment. There's an old story, an old fable that's told about a master and a servant out in the country and they were walking towards a city. But in the bad weather, they got lost on their way and they were caught in this terrible blizzard. And in the freezing cold wind, they both fell over in the snow. Well, the next day there were people searching for them. And when they found them, they found the master frozen to death, face down in the snow but they couldn't find the servant anywhere. Until they lifted up the dead body of the master, they found the servant underneath him, still alive, kept alive by this dead body of the master. And he told how the master had placed himself on top of him so he could live, so he could live. Let's take our communion elements right now and hold them. Church, isn't this what Jesus did for us? If you don't have a communion element, please lift your, lift your hand and they're coming down the aisle. This is what Jesus did for us. He's the master who died for his servant, you and I. This is grace at the highest degree. It's His love at the highest degree. And this is the kind of message that Jesus was trying to tell His disciples when He said He began to teach them about His impending death and His upcoming resurrection. This is why He predicted His death three times leading up to it. And today we're here having communion, remembering it. So take this bread, this wafer, and remember the body of Jesus that was broken for you, crucified, flogged, spat on, tortured and killed. Eat this now and remember that. Remember what Jesus did for you. And this blood, this blood of Jesus represented here by this juice. We drink this and remember the blood that was shed on that cross, this powerful blood that washes away our sins, past, present, future. Every sin you ever committed, every sin you will ever commit has been washed clean by this blood. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink it now and remember what he did for us.